Right, so two more minutes to go. So what we also want to do, guys, is we are going to be holding a Q&A at um, the end of this. So it's going to be about 45 to 50 minutes of pretty informal discussions. We're going to be talking about oil. We're going to be talking about stock markets. Will they bounce? Will they bust? Um, we're going to be talking about stock markets and potentially a recession. It's a scary word, but we'll, we'll go over it anyway and what that can mean for you, what it can mean for stock markets. Then we're going to touch on things such as currencies, um, risk on, risk off, things like that. Just talking about current market affairs, what we've seen, what we're expecting to see. Um, and then a Q&A at the end as to questions you might have about what we've spoken about. So just FYI, we're not going to be answering questions about what lot size you should be using or do we think trades might turn around? Do we think Euro USD is going to be long for the next 24 hours? We want to answer questions that provoke thoughtful responses in the sense that if we were to go into a recession, what does that mean for the FTSE and what does that mean for the pound? That sort of thing. Um, Instagrams will be given at the end. So um, ben will shout his Instagram out. Ruben will do his as well. Um, so you'll be able to follow them on Instagram, check out what they do, check out what they post. Um, most of it is quite funny, to be fair to them both. Um, so, so you can check those out at the end. Also, if we don't get around to your question, bear in mind there's a lot of people here. So Yeah, so also if you ask, can you use the Q&A <laughs> button and not the chat button? Because if it goes in the chat, we won't see it. Um, so hit that Q&A button and... Um, we'll be able to see it and try and keep it <laughs> relatively brief because there's a lot of people um, we'll try and get around to as many as possible obviously yeah exactly and obviously we might get a lot of the same question in a roundabout way so um it'll be the first one that comes up that we'll answer if you've asked a slightly different question it probably won't get answered but we've probably covered that topic anyway cool so seven o'clock so i'm aware that we've got um people in here that don't trade with us people in here from Ben's client base and Ruben's client base. So I'm going to introduce myself first. I'm James. I am one of the traders at SoFX, obviously hosting the podcast this evening. Um, thank you all for being here, first of all. We, d we decided it would be good for you guys to know our backgrounds if you don't already know us or know our backgrounds. So I started trading when I was in university. I started um, getting into Forex. I was doing a degree in physics and maths. And um, I was looking at charts, looking at all that sort of stuff. And it really started to catch my eye. Um, the attraction of being able to trade when you want to let it, to suit, uh, let it suit you, let it work around your lifestyle rather than you work around your working lifestyle so for me the freedom of of trading the freedom the financial freedom it can give you as well in the end um was really appealing so i trade mostly price action i know ruben and ben are both actually slightly different to me i trade purely on price um with a few other bits and bobs but we all have different trading styles and that's the beauty of forex so i want to introduce those of you who don't know to ben who's going to tell you about himself too yeah, how you doing, guys? Um, so, yeah, basically myself, I've been trading for just over eight years now. Um, I'm always very honest with it when people ask me. I basically got into trading through potluck, um, if I'm honest. So coming out of school, most people didn't really know what to do. I was actually big into my sports, played a lot of golf, actually ended up working in a gym. Uh, got my, I'm a level two, level three, and that for my personal training. Um, fortunately, basically, when I was looking to get out of that, just wanted to go and actually pursue a career, I could earn a bit more cash, basically. Um, what ended up happening was one of my clients was actually a recruiter uh, within the financial sector. So basically what he done, he managed to hook me up with an interview uh, with a startup hedge fund. Now, obviously, I wasn't familiar with trading and obviously I wasn't going there in any way, shape or form on the trading side of things. Um, I was there purely for like essentially fancy client services. You know, they call it account management. You're essentially client services for the fund, right? You're dealing with the investors. 
Um, and from there, I just kind of got hooked, obviously being around it every day. Uh, I was very fortunate. One of the guys I used to sit with on my lunch break was, was trading FX, hence the reason I ended up within the FX sector as opposed to getting into stocks, commodities or anything like that. So uh, I got into FX through that kind of path. I've then been very lucky since then, worked at a couple of other trading companies, you know, alongside former Goldman Sachs traders, uh, Bank of England traders. And, you know, over the last eight years, obviously built up a lot, a lot of experience. That's why I now like doing things like this, because obviously I've, I've realized the importance of having the right people around you. Um, I've been very, very fortunate uh, throughout, basically. So, you know, having the opportunity to do this with like, you know, Ruben and James and, and guys like that, you know, I think is really, really vital, basically. Um, and I would recommend everybody take advantage of this kind of stuff. Um, I know, Ruben, you come from a slightly different background to myself again, don't you? Yeah, definitely. Um, actually, it's a funny fact, because me and Ben have known each other for something like five years. And when I first started trading, I contacted Ben and we were in a group chat together. And this was a long time ago. Um, yeah. So this is when Ben had a few years experience. I was pretty much brand new. Um, so sheer coincidence, we've ended up working together alongside James. Yeah. That's pretty, a pretty fun fact there. So yeah, I started studying when I was in university. Um, over the three years, I had a lot of time. Obviously, if you've been to university, you know, there's a lot of work to do, but you've got a lot of social time too. So I used that time to study trading basically i found it through instagram got into it through social media um and after i left university you know i put as much time and effort as i possibly could alongside studies alongside social life um, and once i graduated that's when i really put as much time as i possibly could um every day into the market and really built that chart time up um, and now about two and a half years later um, i'm now trading full time from home like the other guys here and you know it's been a long ride very bumpy so much experience gained many positives a lot of negatives too along the way as i both know and all of you guys that also trade you'll know too it's not easy um but if you really persist like all three of us have done um it's possible so yeah long journey difficult but very happy to be where i am now yeah persistence definitely need the persistence sure. yeah i think it's uh, you've got to be very good at banging your head against a brick wall with this to get to get where you need to over that hump so to speak isn't it to the point where, where yeah it clicks yeah. one day it clicks and you're like ah. yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not like a, an aha moment as such, but definitely I would say clicking is definitely a good way of looking at it. You know, it yeah. just feels like you have more rhythm in what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You look at something and it actually makes sense. And the outcome is, is what you expected it to be rather than kind of, oh, I was right sort of thing. And the old expectations you had yeah. in the first time. Oh, shit, I was right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 100% yeah. agree. Cool. So we want to get on to our first topic, which is um, pretty hot at the moment. There's a lot of talk about it. You'll see it affects everyone in everyday life, and that is oil. So as we all know, oil the other day for the first time became worth nothing. Well, it didn't actually become worth nothing, but the futures contracts did. So I want Ruben to start this off because he is the most fundamentally based trader out of the three of us. Um, Obviously, you all know what oil is. You all know how it works. Um, but we're going to talk about that, what the long term is for oil. Are we going to see it back at $60 anytime soon, or are we going to be enjoy cheaper, enjoying cheaper petrol at the pumps for the foreseeable future? So, Ruben, take us away. Right. So, yeah. So, oil, about last month, they went into negative territory, which was an unprecedented event. We've never, ever in the history of oil have seen this sort of event. So it was a very big event. It's amazing to sort of live through that and be a trader at the same time because you just haven't seen that before. Even the, the presenters on Bloomberg are like, I've never said this before. I can't believe this is you know, coming out of my mouth. Um, oil and negative prices. Now, like James said, it's not the physical oil. That was the oil based on the futures contract. I'm not going to go into that too much, but still an unprecedented event. 
So the reasons for this, as you can imagine, the COVID, the, the coronavirus has caused a huge drop in demand. So all of these people around the world locked down. What happens if they're not driving? They're not consuming as many products as they were before. They're not flying. You know, no one's flying unless they have to. Um, people are, like I said, not driving, not making use of taxis, buses, public transport. It's something like a 30% drop in demand worldwide for oil. So as you can imagine, everyone's pumping out the same amount of oil with a massive decrease in demand. So what's going to happen? The price is going to drop. Um, not only that, we saw Saudi Arabia just before this entire thing happened. They purposely increased production along with Russia in a sort of like war between the two. So there's a double effect. You've got that effect, which caused prices to plummet. And a month after that, what happens? Coronavirus pops up and it just destroys the market. So they pretty much, you know, Saudi Arabia started off the price plunge and it's been exacerbated, you know, in unlimited times to the downside by this um, current crisis. And now we're seeing things start to pick up, demand's picking up, lockdowns are easing. Um, so now oil's starting to pick up again. In terms of $60 oil, going to take a long time. I don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon, but mm -hmm. I do think the bottom's been, been put in. I can't see us going back down to zero. Definitely not with negative prices. Yeah, I think as well in terms of the coronavirus, we're, we're out of, or I would say we're, we're over the peak, not necessarily in cases, but in terms of worldwide lockdown and lack of oil use. So obviously Saudi Arabia has started to decrease, decrease their output anyway. Um, but I think in terms of, for example, unfortunately Wales haven't, but England have started saying you can move-ish again. America have started to yeah. kind of reopen. Obviously, there are massive, massive backlogs of oil to be used now in storage, which is obviously going to hinder the price. No one's going to be producing, so the demand's going to be there, but the supply is going to be there as well, so the price yeah. isn't going to be No the one's going to cut supply to zero because they still want to make money. And if, yeah, one, exactly. if, one, if one cuts their supply, the other one won't because they know they can still make more money than the other country. So exactly. it's like an impossible scenario. <laughs> well, if one person cuts supply, yeah. the other person just puts it up because there's more market share to take. Yeah, especially Russia and Saudi Arabia. Yeah, to, yeah. To yeah, they've been the main ones, obviously, driving the whole thing, haven't they? Saudi Arabia, Russia. Yeah. I mean, I think it was today that Aramco, which is like the biggest corporation on the planet, they've yeah. obviously a lot of their stuff comes from, um, you know, obviously the, the oil markets and the profits from that sort of sector. They still, you know, in Q1 turned something like 64 billion or something like that. You know, it's not like that. <laughs> yeah. you know, even though that's 25% off, um, you know, what they're, you know, they typically do in a quarter, you're still talking huge amounts of money. And I think that's why it kind of went on for so long. But then like Ruben said, you know, you had double whammy yeah. of then coronavirus obviously then coming in. And it's just obviously caused chaos, you know, in all asset classes. And obviously oil is absolutely no exception. Um, but I would definitely agree exactly what Ruben's saying there, you know, with the whole situation, the way it is, you would imagine now that the market would slowly start to recover. Personally, I'm looking at it and thinking, you know, it may well depend on if there's any element of a second wave that comes into play. I completely agree. How, you know, how will the market react to that? You know, we're we saw obviously how we had a sell off. Yeah, we're yeah. seeing that as it, well, I mean, was it, was it Wuhan, isn't it? That they've, they've so had... Wuhan's had new cases. 11 million people are now going to be tested the entire city. Yeah, Germany's right. got new cases. South Korea's got new cases again. Exactly. So we're seeing these places that were like bastions now kind of getting their cases back up. So I think it's realistic as well. Uh, it, was, it was always realistic to expect a second spike. Um, mm. Because because it's inevitable, realistically, it's how they deal with it now. I think will depend on the oil. But as I said, as Ruben said, yeah. I do think the bottom has been put in now because you don't have that first factor of the um, of the of the Saudi Russia oil war, so to speak. Correct. Yeah. So it's only kind of one component as opposed to the two, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. However, saying that, that doesn't write off low teens again. 
but it'll be very no. interesting to see where we end up because I think even if Germany go back into lockdown, Wuhan go back into lockdown, the UK will keep easing it until we have to go back into lockdown because the economies, which brings us on to another point, can't afford to carry on like they are indefinitely because because you can't keep easing well, just printed money, essentially. Yeah, the government came out and said today the furlough scheme is going on till October. Exactly. They can't keep it going yeah. any further than that. They're asking employers to help with the costs because the government can't finance everyone's jobs. They can't, yeah. Ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is it. But this is it. And I think the thing for, for people that are kind of newer to this, you know, what they need to understand is it's not, a, you know, the governments obviously don't have an endless pot of cash. And if they was to start obviously printing more, you'd end up with the issue of hyperinflation and stuff like that. And, you know, they've got to obviously create this balance. Um, so I think they almost need to, in some ways, take the risk, if you want to call it that, um, of trying to start opening things again mm. to at least stop things grinding to a halt and getting to the position where they effectively have to sit there and go, we've got no cash left. Well, so it almost feels like their okay. hands forced a little bit. Yeah. It's a balance it's, between political and economic. Risk. It's, it's, it's a double-edged exactly. sword because you look at the economic side of it and everyone's in furlough now but how much mm. damage is they going to be at, how much damage is they going to be even if we reopen the country tomorrow fully um, yeah. how much damage is they going to be at the end of october when everything's been shut for 10 months everyone's, everyone's been on furlough there's no cash to go and start doing projects that aren't necessarily um important exactly it, it, it's, yeah so you have zombie companies too that are going to go bust yeah so for all, example, all these companies that aren't generating any cash flow they're getting free mm. money from the government. They will go bust. And you're going to see a big slew 100%. of companies disappear. 100%. And it's like you say, James, you know, it'd be a case of, it's not, the thing is as well, what people need to obviously remember is it's not a case of the government go, all right, guys, off you go back to work again. And then everything was back to normal. There's a process to it. And, you know, like you just said, you know, it's all well and good, for example, them saying, right, the construction companies are now allowed to start to work again, as an example, right? But if they haven't got the cash there to sit there and you haven't got the clientele base, have got the cash, to start the projects, it doesn't, you know, just magically to start again, you know, there is going to be this issue and the transition period, I would say is going to, it's going to be a lot longer than I think people expect because it needs, it's going to be a very, you know, very kind of slow, gradual grind at the You've beginning little, yeah, to get things going. I think the, I think we'll see effects of coronavirus, not necessarily a direct effect in terms of virus counts, but I think economic effects, we'll still be seeing this next Christmas in the sense that businesses will take a massive hit from this in turnover. Um, spending will decrease, obviously like Christmas this year, might not yeah. happen and then if christmas doesn't happen a lot of retail stores on the high street depend on christmas to break even yeah. for the year exactly it's, it's a large portion of their profits isn't it yeah yeah high street is going to be decimated it's already decimated in the uk so mm. imagine what it's going to be like next year yeah and i mean i do apologize yeah. if you've tuned in to relax this evening it's not the uh, <laughs> yeah. not the most upbeat chat <laughs> you, you yes. like so, in, so in, yeah, in, in summary guys you're all fucked um and you might as well give up <laughs> it's the end of the world <laughs> Um, but on the but other hand there is there is there is that to consider in in you know in all areas you know i mean you look at airlines airlines obviously the one taking one of the biggest hammering at the moment you know in kind of different sectors yep. that you've got obviously that has a, a you know the oil obviously factor comes into play with your airlines and stuff like that as well but you then look at them and you go if we go past summer which for them is the main period you know we're talking about the retail sector and hospitality and stuff like that at christmas but if you then go before that earlier in the year, you know, the main summertime is obviously where most people would go away, isn't it? Yeah. And people aren't going to have the cash to do it. The time of year will pass. It'll get towards the end of the year and they'll be then trying to think of Christmas and saving cash. It was not just going to be, you know, over the next four months or so that the airlines are going to struggle. 
it's then going to be after yeah, that. You yeah. can't imagine you the they're going to have any kind of um, pick up till next year. Yeah, the boss of Ryanair came out today saying that the, the measures the government's announced in the UK is going to just decimate the airline industry because obviously they want people to quarantine for two weeks coming in. That means people aren't going to want to go and travel. They also, you know, we're going to have to space out social distance on planes. Again, less people to sell to, less tickets, but they still need to charge a lower price. So yeah. the airline industry is fuming right now. Um, and you're going to see yeah. more airlines probably go down. Yeah, and I think... I mean, I think th about it. If you've got an average plane that has three and three seating-wise, right, a small EasyJet plane, for example, mm. if they take the middle seat out of each one, that's 30% of the seats on the plane that have gone. Yeah. yeah so absolutely. they now... So how the hell are they going to balance that, with, you know, with the, the real yeah, uh, right. lack of cash? Yeah, I think it's difficult as well that's because... Right because um, everyone's on furlough as well at the moment. So there's no incentive for unemployment here anyway. Obviously, people are getting laid off. Companies are going bust. But I think that, like you said, airlines will struggle. Unemployment will go through the roof and then spending drops. And then you've got a vicious circle, which yeah. brings us on to the big scary word of recession, doesn't it? But it's, yeah, it's impossible yes. to say. That word. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> if we're actually in a recession right now. It's the worst recession in 300 years, but possibly mm. temporarily. Um, That's the, I think... I think I think everyone's scared to call it a recession because everyone's going, oh, well, it's coronavirus. And to keep everyone optimistic, everyone's saying, oh, well, it'll come yeah. back after this is all over. Yeah. Everyone wants um, to assume the best. So. Yeah, hope for the best. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a quite a nice attitude I mean, in some ways, you know, kind of obviously have that positivity. But like you say, you know, there is the element where you know, there's, there's a line between being positive and then, well, just basically ignoring it and just trying to put a different label on it. Um, like Ruben said, you know, the, the thing is with a recession, obviously it's once that there's certain effects within the economy and the economy gets to a certain point, the market gets to some point, et cetera. That's when it's then labeled as a recession. It's not just, you know, people sit there and go, oh yeah, well now I think it's a recession. There's obviously data and everything that's behind it, right? So the mm. fact that we are now well, technically in a recession, the Eurozone especially is obviously massively struggling. Um, I think I feel personally, I feel like it's now a case of, you know, us not being in the Eurozone is definitely now starting to have an effect on them because in times like now, you know, with countries like Spain, Italy, etc., all struggling so much, the onus falls more on places like Germany, you know, that are bigger financial creditors anyway. Yeah, so well, as, as Correct, you showed exactly. on Sunday night in the webinar, Germany yeah. single handedly prop up. Germany, yeah, Netherlands, they prop up yeah. everyone else. You've got, you've got all the Mediterranean nations like Spain, um, Italy, Greece. The EU is split in half, north and south. North is pretty much funding the south. And they've both got different economic like ideas, but they've got the same monetary union. So it's down to... <laughs> you look at Spain, they came out of lockdown and, and everyone kind of went, well, there's no point because if the Brits can't come here, we're not going to do anything. Yeah, the Costa del Sol is... The <laughs> <We've>, yeah. <laughs> Benidorm's still like a ghost town. Exactly. Yeah, it's reopened, but no one's there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is it, though. It's, it's like you know, like the, you know, Ruben showed the data. You know how much the eurozone relies on Germany, and you know that's what I found it quite bizarre the way that the whole the ECB responded to Germany the other day. You know, with the German court exactly. ruling and stuff like yeah. that. It's almost it almost feels a little bit like you kind of bite in the hand that feeds you because if you you know, if you cause that much of an issue in Germany, go, we'll see you later then. Mm. <laughs> yeah. See you yeah. Later. You know, the Eurozone's so, had it. The Eurozone's gone. It's going to so. stoke up anti-European sentiment in Germany because it's a big issue. So, I think it's one, of the, it's, it's one of the whole things of the ECB, and big, ECB being too big for its boots, which was yeah. a, a massive motivator for a lot of people when we voted here. Um, mm. And I think that if Germany f like follows us now and kind of turns around to the ECB and goes, we're not interested, um, leaves Euros, mm. Euro, like the European Union, yeah, I, don't think I think it'll collapse. 
Yeah, remember that the ECB, we, we weren't under those because we weren't in the Eurozone. We were in the European Union. Uh, European uh, Union, sorry, is what I meant. Yeah, so the ECB has just got jurisdiction in the Eurozone. But the thing is, it's not going to be that big of an effect that quick. But even if you see a little bit of anti-European mm. sentiment in Germany for the yeah. Euro, that's going to be very bad. Um, so yeah. there's so much downwards pressure on the Euro. You know, yeah. it's not good. The thing is, as well, if you end up with a situation, I mean, depending on how long, for example, the corona situation goes on, right, and it starts to put more of a financial strain on countries and, you know, in, um, like the Eurozone and Germany, obviously, in particular, mm. it could get to the point where Germany can't, to say physically can't actually afford to do what the, the Eurozone requires them to do. And then you end up in a situation where they can't prop things up. There's only, you know, they're not going to have an endless pot of cash either. So depending on what goes on the uh, within the, the global economy. It, so. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it is crazy. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that all unfolds as well with, uh, with that situation um, in terms of the bonds and all of that. But in terms of stock markets then, do we think they're going to bounce or do we think the bust will continue? Stock markets. Uh, yeah, I was going to say in terms of stock markets, like you've got Wall Street, which is obviously the S&P, stock markets in general, and you've got Main Street, which is everyone else. And as always, Main Street and Wall Street are just completely disconnected. I mean, we've got one of the worst economic <laughs> downturns in like centuries, and the S&P is back up near where it was six months ago. So it's gone up like 30, 40% from the lows. Yeah, it's it's crazy. crazy. So I cannot yeah. see that continuing much longer do you think that's speculative no, i mean the, one of the biggest questions go on do you think that's that's driven by speculators or do you think well it has to be missing it? out fomo a lot but... yeah 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 i think the thing is, is we, we've got to remember that a lot of companies nowadays i mean if you go back to say like an 87 recession or something like that right the setup of obviously with the internet obviously not being you know around where it was and stuff like that we're, a lot of companies are set up very differently nowadays, you know, so you had the whole reset, uh, the whole um, initial impact of coronavirus kicked in, the market's dumped, the panic kicks in, etc. Then not long after that, you know, companies like Amazon, they go to all time highs and things like this, because companies are able to service and provide products to people now in a way that they wasn't able to do 10, 15, 20 years ago. So, you know, one of the biggest questions I always get asked, you know, at the moment, it seems is, well, if, if the, you know, we've got lockdowns everywhere, if the global economy is struggling so much, et cetera, how can the stock market be going up? But you it's have to remember that. the stock market isn't the economy. They're two separate things, right? Now, obviously, that there's an impact. You know, you will obviously will get ripple effects and stuff like that, but it's not directly correlated. Um, and at the end of the day, if companies are doing well... Yeah, to expand up. on the point you just made there, um, the tech companies are the only companies actually propping up the stock market. So you might not know this, but yeah. NASDAQ, which is the tech stocks, that's the only part of the S&P that's propping the S&P up. All of the other stocks are wrecked. So yeah. if the tech stocks yeah. have a problem, you'll see the S&P really dump because the Nasdaq yeah. is the only thing holding the entire charade up, basically. Well, yeah. If you look at se if you actually look through the sectors, I've got a list of the sectors now in front of me. I'll always look at the sector performance. Mm. The actual year-to-date figures, the technology sector is up 1.6%. Everything else is in the red. Yes. Yeah. So it goes to yeah, show you how yeah, much yeah, of a difference... <laughs> It's making. <laughs> yeah, well, I think every, I, I think, I think it's it's uh, common knowledge, isn't it, that the tech sector is one of the biggest, well, if not the most prevalent sector um, in that market because of the size of the companies you've got with Apple and Google and yeah. all of those. Um, but yeah. it'll be interesting to see that. Uh, talking of those markets, do we think we'll see highs anytime soon, or do you think that everyone will start to catch on when you start talking about risk, um, risk aversion, and all of that? Seeing if we get a second spike, do you think we'll see these markets mm. drop further? 
or do we think the um, I mean look I, I mean look at the end of the day if the market any kind of form of recovery in the market it has to naturally form a trend anyway so there has to be some form of pullback at some stage right so um, it's not to say that it's now going to go and put in new lows but there needs to be some kind of reprieve from the buying momentum that we've had since the lows right so there's going to need to be some form of pullback and I think it will depend on you know the timing of it personally and you know like you say if we then get another a second spike for example you know is it around about the same sort of time does it end up being a case of how bad is the, are the, are the spikes again on the second wave you know if you end up with some com uh, countries going back into lockdown again that will then straight away obviously have an impact on the businesses sure. and so on and so forth so i mean it's, it's a very difficult one to kind of give a, a definite answer on you know it's not deliberately being vague um i personally don't think we'll see you know new lows made from the lows that we had before that's just my personal opinion yeah. on it yeah it was unless mental. unless it can you know things really do get bad of a second wave and it's actually worse than the first and yeah. your panic one other thing that's pretty yeah. interesting is that when you look at previous recessions so going back to the great depression 2008 um the the tech bubble that burst like 1998 or something like that all of the curves in terms of the, the drop and the recovery they sort of go across on, on a line so that's just the, the normalcy drops down over time recovers over the space of say like 15 16 months whereas what we've had with this one i mean that, that's got a v-shaped recovery which is like a normal sort of recession what you expect yeah. what we've got now is normal normal massive drop like like the other recessions and immediately straight back up so it's not a v it's like a that <laughs> so this is not, <laughs> it's not normal market behavior so i no. think it's driven a lot by fomo um yeah. me personally i don't think we're going to find new highs i also don't really think we're going to find new lows i think we're going to stay where we are for a while a lot yeah. of battling between indecision because if the lockdowns have to start going stricter again because we get these second waves, it's all fundamentally based what's going to happen. But I don't see new lows. I don't see new highs. I think we're going to be somewhere yeah. in between. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think obviously the psychology drives the market a lot. And I think that's what people have to remember. So depending on, you know, what happens with things like that, again, you know, how much fear basically sets in. And this is the thing you'll always notice if you ever put, if you pull up any form of chart, you know, S&P, the Dow, whatever it may be, you have to keep in mind that you know when you get an upward trend it's nice and steady generally speaking over time any drop you have is very very vertical yeah. and obviously a lot of that comes down to psychology you know fear people dump out of positions they panic basically um so you end up with the quick sell-off and then but when people are investing over periods of time it's more sensibly done it's almost like a nike tick that you end up getting you know the panic and then the slow yeah. a saying that i always <laughs> remember is bulls climb up the stairs beers jump out the window like that one yeah <laughs> that's, that's literally yeah. how it is isn't it yeah um, but i think as well it, in terms of the stock markets i don't know about you guys but i've had so many people approach me like is now a good time to buy stocks is now a good time to buy stocks the market's dropping. Oh, <laughs> it's like well nice how long is a piece of string and i think that's part of what the reason should i buy <laughs> yeah part of the reason the markets did recover um because you had so many people the, the yeah. supply was there the demand was there as well and then the imbalance causes the price yeah. to rise again but i think everyone's settled down now um and kind of sat yeah. there. So I do agree 100%. with you, but I don't yeah. think... Also, that... notice how many advertisements that all you guys are seeing for these companies like um, Plus 500. All these like retail yeah. things saying, now's a great time to buy stocks. Look at, look at the drop. So it's not just that, but they're marketing yeah. millions of people, Robin Hood. Um, and all these Robin Hood traders, etc., are pretty yeah. much the ones driving some of this. Yeah. Well, I know companies like eToro, they spend about two million a month just on YouTube adverts. Yeah. And you think oh, that's like one broker. Every time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why you see them everywhere. That's why you well, can't get rid of the them guy when you're got to watch on, a car video. What's the guy they've got on the, their adverts? That I, don't know, I don't like him. 
Oh, what's his name? <laughs> I don't know who he is. But is he in Meet the Fockers? He's in Meet the Fockers, isn't he? Anyway, he's a massive Hollywood actor, so they're obviously spending a lot of money on advertising, which again is that whole thing behind Alec Baldwin. Yes, Alec Baldwin. There you go. Um, It wasn't him in Meet the Fockers, but yeah, it is Alec Baldwin. Um, But yeah, like that's how much they're spending on advertising. So you can't imagine how much are going through their platforms, and no one's going to be going Mm. short. No one's going to be selling because no one. I wouldn't say any retailers would be ballsy enough or know enough about something well it's the commercials that are net short right now so the big commercial hedge funds etc yeah they're net, they're net short especially futures contracts they're net short futures short s&p yeah so it's the it's the yeah. larger institutions and hedge funds that are expecting a sort of drop your goal exactly. coming out mm. telling their clients that's going to drop 30 um 30 percent again so goldman all the big sort of players are expecting yeah. this not to continue for much longer exactly yeah. which is going and to catch the thing is as well funds yeah, well, this is it. And the, but obviously, you've got to remember as well is I think where where a lot of retail that, you know, i.e., you know, amateur and, and traders from home and that kind of get caught up is that they see things like that. And that's where they then start to panic and stuff like this. But they forget that your big funds, they look at obviously hedging positions. You know, they're not they're not all yeah, just everything short. Sure they hedge. Exactly. The hedging yeah. positions. But there's also a situation as well of. You know, they, they could be looking at holding positions for literally years. Some, you know, you look at your Warren Buffett's and out of the world, they can be in positions for years. Whereas, you know, that you retail, you're John Smith sitting at home trading on eToro or, you know, IG Index or whatever. You know, he's sitting there and he's getting in and out in a couple of days and he's trying to fucking follow. No, no, no. doesn't work like that. He expects yeah. it to happen in a Wednesday <laughs> afternoon. Yeah, that's mean that the hype exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's guaranteed then. Yeah. The hype whipped up and the retail traders are the ones doing the buying. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think that covers stock markets. Um, I think that the answer that we got from that was there's not going to be much happening um, or unless we see a, a massive second spike, there's yeah. not going to be much. We've seen There's actually lot one other, co- yeah, sorry, there's one point I just want to make before I forget. Yeah, go for and, it. And um, it's quite important in terms of like growth because obviously markets, you have to remember everything, the entire world is driven by growth. So mm-hmm. in the UK, we've got the furlough scheme, the government paying workers to, to you know, work from home so that their economy doesn't go down. In the US, you've got sort of the Trump check or the employment insurance. So the majority of the jobs that have been lost in the US, 20, over 20 million jobs lost so far, um, the vast majority, 80% are in low-paid work. So these checks are covering those low-paid workers, keeping the growth going because people are still buying things, they're still supported. Once we start seeing higher-paid jobs go, those checks of $1,500, whatever it is, that's not going to cover higher-paid workers. So the people that are buying the big-ticket items they're going to contract a lot because they're not going to be buying as much because the household spending is not going to be covered once we start to see these job losses translate not from just the lower pay but into the higher paid workers too. So that's a really important thing to actually think about because that's going to come into effect. That does actually lead us quite nicely onto our next point, which is obviously what what we all do is is trade FX. Now, one thing I've had a lot of is people seeing the unemployment rate in the US at all-time highs at 20 million i mean hasn't been it hasn't been anywhere near that for a long time um very very confused as to why the dollar is not crashing um and it, it goes back to what ruben said is don't forget these people who are unemployed are unemployed but they're still earning so they're still spending and and when the gut that stops and those people are suddenly properly unemployed and they go from earning their wage which might be $1,200 a month to what we class as job seekers allowance which is about 160 quid 200 quid a month I don't actually know what it is that's when the real issues will start yeah yeah 
Oh, 100%. I mean, you know, you, you obviously got the fundamental elements, you know, such as that, um, that's going to make a, you know, take a massive toll on things. You know, if you get to that point, obviously, it might not, ideally, fingers crossed, it doesn't, you know, quite get to that stage where it can't have a, a big of an impact, but it definitely could be something that, that plays out. And then obviously, you've got the, the more kind of technical side, if you want to call it that, where you look at, you know, markets, you've got to remember price things like this in. So, you know, when you start to have a particular scenario that's building up, you know, I mean, NFP last week is your prime example, right? You have the figures come out. They're the worst unemployment figures in the history of the US, I believe. And just because they were slightly better than what they was expecting, <laughs> the yeah. dollar actually went up. are like scratching their heads like, how is this possible? Yeah, they're like, that doesn't <laughs> yeah. make any sense. It's the worst. But obviously, it's because the market's pricing it in. You know, it's not a, it's not a shock to the market that you're going to get these figures. Mm. It's expected. The, yeah, the, the whole world has been on a hold. <laughs> exactly. So obviously, all of this happens. The market obviously is, you know, priced it in and factored it in. You end up with your estimates. So I think the, I believe off the top of my head, the estimates are like twenty-two million, and it come out as twenty million unemployed. Yeah. And yeah. then what ended up happening was I go, oh, that's better than we thought. And so, the dollar pops. And it's such like, a crazy situation. Such <laughs> <laughs> a crazy situation. Yeah. Twenty million—that's not too bad. That's not bad. The data for like the earnings came out way, way over the top. It, yeah. was, it was it was forecast like under three and a half percent came out seven and a half percent and if you didn't know the reason behind that you'd be thinking like how is this, how is this possible? <laughs> but like i said earlier on it's the lower paid workers that are most affected at the moment so it's it's actually that the average hourly earnings have gone up by like a like unprecedented amount and mm. the dollar's not going to go whack off the off the back of that because correct not good <laughs> well yeah. yeah it's like you look at zoom for example that we're all on now they mm. have gone through the roof in terms of their um, turnover because although as you said those higher paid jobs are still working because they are mostly in the tech industry and all of that sort of thing so they're right, not yeah. affected because they send their computers home and they just work from home it's so there anyway. yeah did you see what happened to the china that the chinese company zoom so people when when the, all this first kicked off so the Zoom is in what we're using now. I believe the ticker is ZM. Um, and a lot of people started obviously looking. Yeah, for, I think it was I ZOM or ZOM. They started buying the wrong stock, basically, which is a Chinese company. That's a whole and it trade. pumped up something like a thousand percent. I didn't know that. And then people <laughs> realized what they did. And they went, oh, shit. And obviously, you can imagine then yeah. the dump that it then had. It went up about a thousand percent. Could you imagine owning up. that company waking up <laughs> yeah. and being up a thousand percent? These Chinese guys just like, what? <laughs> You'd be like that. I was worth 10 million yesterday. I'm now a billionaire. What's happened there? <laughs> 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 worst problems to have but, but you get things like that and i think that's what people forget yeah there is worse yeah. problems to have, yeah until it dumps but i think people forget that you know that there's again you know it's the psychology you gotta remember it's humans yes you do get your algorithms and stuff like that nowadays involved in the market but you know the overall mass movement that you get within the market is driven by us right i.e humans mm. so there's always going to be discretion there's always going to be emotions there's you know psychological elements that then come into it um, and I think that's what people then forget when they're looking at those types of figures and that sort of thing happens. One other thing I'm seeing in the chat, a few people mentioning the, the word big boys. Everyone always says, where's the big, what are the big boys doing? What's the big money doing? <laughs> Remember the that big boys. big boys and the big money, they're also humans. They don't always get it right. There's not always two camps. There's not always, you know, the little people and the big people and the big people are always right and always making money. You've got hedge funds worth hundreds of millions that are blowing up because they've and made Ray Dalio. Like bets on oil. Yeah, Ray Dalio, Ray Dalio got caught out. He, yeah, Ray he's, yeah. he's, I think Bridgewater Associates is the biggest fund, I believe, by assets under management at something like $170 billion. They shafted, and they got shafted because they didn't see, they got, they made the mistake at the beginning and they're down like 30 odd percent for the year currently. Do you yeah. think if that guy can do it, he's worth about $20 billion, runs the biggest fund on the planet, you definitely can. Like, do you know what I mean? Don't feel bad if you kind so, of get caught out by those yeah, things. You have to be aware. There's an easy distinction like that to make. 
Correct. Exactly. Like exactly like you said, we're all human. They yep. are as well. Yeah, it's all sentiment, mostly sentiment driven. Obviously, there are external factors. Um, but in terms of where do the big boys put their money is an interesting question because it's not so much where do the big boys put their money, but um, I know Ruben and I have discussed it quite a bit recently is risk on and risk off flows, which we've been yeah, seeing sure. quite a lot of recently. Um, yeah. I thought that would be quite an interesting topic to discuss this evening. Um, just because it's one thing, for example, when you see the Japanese yen absolutely pumping, killing everything else in the market, and you're mm. like, what is going on? Why is it doing this? Um, there's no news or anything happening. That can be a risk yeah. on or risk off flow. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting to talk about that, what your perspectives are on them, um, mm. how to deal with them, etc. what that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I think that's, you know, it's exactly right. You know, people kind of look at things like, you know, Swiss franc and Swiss franc, sorry, and things like that as well, you know, have the same effect, you know, looked at, you know, a good way of obviously diversifying your risk, essentially, you know, currencies like that. Um, and what ends up happening is, you know, people then just, if they, they're unsure, they just kind of turn to their safe haven, you know, they're literally called safe haven assets, right? So people end up just naturally turning to those. So you will end up getting times where the money obviously just pumps into them. And then obviously when the market sentiment changes, that's where all the money is. So they all comes flowing out. And that's why you tend to find, obviously it's not, you know, exactly the, the case all the time, but you tend to happen a lot where your Swiss pairs and yen pairs and things like that. They won't always trend in a consistent way. It seems like the movement at times can be quite sideways or quite sudden. And you tend to find that happen quite a lot. I mean, you look at, say, dollar yen, for example, over the last week, it's just basically just moved in an upward direction. Yeah. Um, but well before that, <laughs> it took a month. It just slowly went sideways and down. Do you know what I mean? So it just kind of has, has times like that. And, you know, it definitely plays a big factor in, in, you know, in the market, uh, definitely. Yeah. So in terms of the risk on the risk off and the safe haven stuff, another reason why people might be shocked, you know, the U.S. is pretty much the hardest hit country, which it always usually isn't when it comes to economic problems um, with this virus. Yet the, the dollar has been super strong. It's been one of the strongest currencies that there have been, even though you're seeing this mass unemployment and this huge problem in the U.S. So another reason is because the U.S. at the moment, it flips between it every, every couple of years. Um, at the moment, it's asking as a safe haven because I'm not going to go too far into it, but U.S. Treasury bonds are the safest investment on earth. Um, if you want... You know, you're going to get really low yields. You're not going to get much return. And if yeah. there's a problem in the world, like a risk, which is you know, coronavirus is a risk, a lot of money is going to flood into the US to buy these treasury bonds. So that's another reason why the dollar has been in such high demand. Because if you're in, if you're in Australia, you want to buy a US government bond, what do you need to do? Sell your Australian dollar? Yeah. Buy US dollar. So the demand for the dollar has been very, very high. And um, we're going to probably see that continue. So that's another reason why the dollar has not tanked it. You know, it's actually done very well even though the U.S. is the biggest hit economy. Because if you look at it now. Trump's on the phone. Everyone's going to be like Ruben said. Tony's just started. I can't believe he does that. Because if you look at 2008 as well, the dollar did pretty well in that recession in terms of currencies. Because what everyone forgets as well is when we trade currencies against currencies, it's not how well or badly that currency is doing. It's how well or badly that currency is doing against the other currency so you have a balance rather than a um rather than a straight up or down so with stock markets they move up or down but with with currencies you trade euro to us dollar so um if people are pumping money into that us dollar you will see it perform well in um the market sorry mm. yeah but this is it I mean, there's there's various things that come into play you know and i think what happens sometimes is people kind of they they get they can kind of get hung up on one idea or one particular thing, 
And that what ends up happening is, you know, they, they become so driven by that factor, you know, i.e., you know, so, so for example, you're talking about, you know, in the US and the jobless figures, right? And they get so hung up on that factor, they forget about the other things going on in the economy. They forget about the other things that are actually happening, what's actually driving the market. And I think this is why it's very important to be diversified, you know, within your portfolios and your approach. Make sure that you're nicely spread out so that way you're understanding and spreading out your risk essentially in, in a time like this. Mm, sure. And also when it comes to um, people saying cash is king and, you know, in times like this, it's not always the case that you should just hoard cash because remember that when you're, when you're holding cash, you're losing money because inflation is higher than the, yeah. the actual returns you get from the bank. That's the reason why like the Federal Reserve, the, the um, ECB, the um, bank here in the UK, they're actually reducing rates so much that they're trying to create growth. And also, obviously, they need those low rates to borrow from the central banks in the first place from the government. But yeah. when you're holding cash like that, you're getting virtually nothing in interest, but your money's being eroded in purchasing power each year. So you're yeah. losing, like, say, 2% a year purchasing power. So it's not always right. wise to just say, oh, like I'm just going to hold cash. You can no, still so you know, have I think a bit of ingenuity and look. For it's, it's a bit of um an outdated concept, isn't it? Now I think that um, to have, to have all your assets liquidated. However, it is interesting because Warren Buffett liquidated a lot of his assets a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. um, Because there was a lot of talk this, this, this was going to happen, but not in this manner, obviously coronavirus put everything on steroids. Um, Mm -hmm. But it is interesting to see that big players like that, like, do they know something we don't? And I know it goes mm-hmm. back to sentiment where you're like, oh, well, if yeah. he's just pulled all his cash, I'm, I'm going to do it too. Yeah. And it becomes a self-fulfilling it. prophecy. Yeah, but yeah. poker's on sort of value. So his idea at the moment is there's no value because like PE ratios are huge. And you've, you've got things like a disconnect. Like I said, the, stuff, the Wall Street and Main Street aren't connected right now. Mm. So I think Buffett is easing on the side of caution because he, when he buys a stock, he doesn't buy for next year. He buys for the next 20 years. So mm. he's looking for value, and right now he doesn't feel there's value. So um, you can, but you'll, you'll see him on one side, and then you'll see another multi-billionaire say, now's a great time to buy X and Y. So yeah. I'd never also just think, oh, Buffett's not buying, therefore I'm not. You want to understand why he's not. And the industry he sold was his airline, so he sold all his airline stocks. I'm pretty sure there's going to be no growth in the airline industry anytime soon. So um, you have to think about a bit more nuanced as well. Yeah. And the thing, exactly like you said, it's, it's always a different take and depending on different styles, right? I think Carl Icahn somebody that's definitely been talking more, mm. more actively recently about getting involved and stuff like that. Super He's cool. a little bit more aggressive <laughs> and, and stuff like this. Yeah, a little bit more of like an activist and stuff like that when it regards to the way he kind of gets invested. But like you said, because Buffett looks for that value and he looks for that, he's essentially looking, you know, at the moment, the market's out of whack in terms of where the value is and the P ratios and stuff like this. He looks, he tries to find the opportunities that are obviously the other way around i.e. the companies that are massively undervalued for where he obviously sees and where the fundamentals are, potential future earnings, you know, and stuff like that, and essentially the future fair value. So it's all about understanding how these guys approach it. And you've got to remember, you know, Buffett's sitting there on 130 billion in cash. is very different to your average investor sitting there, you know, waiting for a trade because they're not going to be trading the same way. Yeah, that's all cash. You, You cannot just buy a stock. I'm going to go on to eToro. You'd be buying companies for that money. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You've you, got to remember you, it's done uh, very differently. Yeah, Can you leverage yeah. my money, please? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I think at the end of the day, you know, you've just got to look and make sure that you're 
you're, you're sensibly spread out, like I mentioned a minute ago, you know, making sure you're diversified. You know, you're never going to know exactly where these guys have all their capital. And there's no point being hung up on what they're doing because it goes back to what we said about 15 minutes ago. These guys are human as well. They'll make mistakes. They're going to make wrong decisions. You know, Buffett himself admitted he was wrong on the airline stocks, right? Yeah. And you're sitting there going, this is the guy that's like the fourth richest man on the planet, or whatever he is, held as the greatest investor of all time. Now, he can still get things wrong. Of course, you can as well. You know, you have to have conviction in what you're doing and just make sure that you actually execute. And if you're looking at, you know, things like your investments and, you know, a lot of these billionaires and these guys were sitting in a lot of cash anyway. Because if you look at the general trend of the market, it was around about 10% above the 50-year mean for the, the S&P. So we was actually starting to get into that territory. Obviously, we'd most, you know, at the beginning of the year, we put in the all-time highs and stuff like that. Hmm. We was getting into that territory where things were just ramped up. So a lot of those guys were looking for value for the market to pull back anyway. Right, and really then we had the coronavirus situation kick in, etc. So it's just kind of ramped it up. It was, it was almost inevitable, wasn't it? Like the market could not continue on that in that right. manner. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. I think that brings us nicely into questions that you guys are asking. Um, I've got a few different questions here. I'm just going to go through them. I see loads of you asking questions about Bitcoin. Uh, we're not going to be answering any <laughs> questions about Bitcoin, guys. Um, just because... We don't, none of us particularly trade it or, or, or are that interested in it. Um, interesting question. Do you believe that after coronavirus, after the economy starts to turn its cogs again, that the interest rates will start increasing quite aggressively? I wouldn't say aggressively. Um, I, th- I think, you know, what they'll probably do is because. I mean, obviously, we've got to look at, you know, you've got, that's a big question that depends on time horizon, right? Because if you're sitting there going, well, how long after coronavirus are you talking? Because if they're sitting there looking at the potential fear of a second wave or anything like that coming back anytime soon, they're not going to want to be too aggressive with rate changes and stuff like that to essentially ex- potentially expose themselves a little bit if something does take a bit of a turn for the worse and they have to backtrack. So personally, I wouldn't have said it would be very aggressive. I think it would take time. Um, and I think any hikes that they do have, I would imagine would be spaced out quite a bit personally. Um, Ruben, I don't know what, I don't know if you've Yeah. So in terms of rate hikes, you're not going to get rate hikes at a quick rate. It's not going to happen because Mm -hmm. the thing is you've got the BOE, for example, came out yesterday or today, and they're actually saying that they're not ruling out negative rates. Mm -hmm. So once we start going into territory of negative rates, the ECB did that like two years last year. Um, that's a very difficult trap to get out of. And also remember that even though things are opening up, that doesn't mean there's great growth because the economy has contracted 14% this year. It's expected yeah. to, to only be up one plus 1% next year. I don't think you're going to see any fast rate rises for years, um, rate rises, because you know, you've got the BOE doing that. Any bank can, can go negative. Um, I know the Fed, they're, they're saying they're not going to, but it's not all about interest rates, it's also QE. So QE is not stopped, there's going to be more QE. So it's going to be a long road and rates are going to be low for a long time. So take advantage of that in whatever way you can because you can take advantage of negative rates. It's not yeah. all doing well. I think interesting to see how that would affect the market then as well because if people are sitting there going, well, it's literally costing me to have money in the bank. Yeah. That's I'm gonna, I want to invest in somewhere. Growth. How, you know, that could, well, you would think it would cause a pop in stocks. But Funnily enough, I read... Um, I read an interesting article about the correlation between the crash and the pump of that uh, pump of the euro. Because when this happened, um, I think we were actually euro pound long at the time, and the euro was flying for no particular reason. But it, it was because of those negative interest rates, because people were taking money out and putting it in stocks because of the negative interest rate. When the stock started crashing, everyone started piling it back into the European it banks. It's, it also, it's not just that; it's also making spending to shops down the road because it's just encouraging spending in every single way. Yeah. So buying cars, yeah. houses. 
It's just a, yeah. a general... They look like, all different like, ways. Yeah. 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 I think you've got to remember, the wealth only ever transfers, you know. Money doesn't vanish. I think people have to remember that, you know. For every person that's losing a dollar, there's somebody gaining a dollar somewhere. The money just doesn't magically disappear. It's even the opposite. So, that money's being created. So. And it's even, yeah, it's literally being created at the moment. So when you sit here and you go, well, you know, a particular asset class or the stock market drops down, you know, whatever it is, there's always going to be something performing elsewhere. And then when you have the transition back the other way, like you just said, you know, with the euro being pumped and then the money going back the other way, there has to be the transition in the opposite direction at some point as well. So you're going to get the opposite effect in both directions. Definitely. Um, I think an, uh, another interesting question, um, how much can the government step in to protect a currency and the exchange rate? For example, if you get a massive spike, now the US dollar goes on a mad one, takes us down to negative on the euro, so the euro becomes 0 0.9 to the dollar, pound becomes almost one to one, really affects imports and exports. How much do you think the government would protect the current situation that we're in because i know there was a thing called the plaza record where governments all sat down and agreed that it's beneficial to have reasonable in, uh, reasonable exchange rates to promote trade mm -hmm. um then you look at the trade war between china and america and it's like well actually how much do these countries really care yeah i mean so... there's only so so much they can do you gotta remember you know even even when it comes down to the us and china you know becomes a bit of a standoff you know they impose on tariff so they do it back so they raise the tariffs over here there, there is a limit though you know they, you know what like we said right at the very beginning when we're talking about you know um helping people out with you know stimulus checks and stuff like that there's only so much money that's there there's only so much they can do it before it becomes actually you know a negative impact hyperinflation and stuff like yeah. that yeah so there's only so much they can do i mean we we're never going to know um, exactly how much cash they have and at what point they would have to do what because we're not sitting there with their bank account details, right? We don't know what's going on. So it's a case of we're never going to know exactly when that could be. It's impossible to, to actually tell. But you have to obviously keep in mind that there's only so much they can do. You know, yeah. there, there does come a point of cut off. Yeah, and also yeah. Um, when you say governments, I mean, in terms of currency stabilities and exchange rates, Remember, the, like 90% of that is down to central banks, which are independent from government. I think, I think um, for most people, though, they look at central banks as, or they look at the government encompassed. So we can say yeah, central so. banks. Um, however, obviously, yeah. it, it, most people would look at it as the government making that decision, or politicians. I mean, they pretty much, they'll do what they have to. They'll do what they can. Yeah. They will yeah. They'll do every, everything <laughs> that was within their power, but yeah. people have to remember. You know, and I think that's why it's very important for, for people to remember that you know, when, when people sit there and they talk about, say, job security or that, you know, they do things because it's safer. You know, oh, I don't yeah. want to, for example, start a business because it's... Risky. It might seem safe. <laughs> uh, yeah, it seems safe. But well, what happens now? <laughs> you know, the second you're relying on... Um, you're putting a roof over your head and food on your dinner yeah. table is relying on outside external factors. And I think exactly. times like now are really making people realise. That's why, we, you know, we've already seen it, right? People, more people looking to start to learn to trade and stuff like that. Because mm -hmm. it's naturally happening now. People are going oh shit, that job that I had because it was secure doesn't care about me. I'm now on furlough like that. And ironically, don't need you. the riskiest people, or they look at us as investors, that, oh, that's too risky. You can't do that. Oh, yeah. No, risky, and, yeah. and now, you know, now they look and say, yeah. you know, mm, how do I do it? Yeah. <laughs> so. we're, the, we're the only ones that are fine. We can make money both ways. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. We can make money up and down. Yeah, everything entails risk, but also remember that not taking risk entails risk. Yeah, like, there exactly. is no such thing as that. That is a risk, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, mean, look, it's like you day, said no about inflation. Savings. Yeah, yeah, it's like you said about inflation. If you're not, if you've not got your money in your in the market, you're losing out. Yeah, and there's there's many instruments and stuff that you can invest in that aren't risky. That you're not going to lose your capital. You're still going to get only one, two percent, three percent a year. Yeah. I know it's nothing, but 
it's still better than having it in the bank. So if yeah, as long as it's better than inflation, it doesn't back, matter. Like, yeah. Correct. Exactly that. I mean, what was the well, if you have rates at like 0.5 inflation in the UK at like two and a half percent, you're technically offside by two percent. Yeah, <laughs> you're losing. <laughs> so, yeah, you're losing two pence I mean, on every pound every year. Yeah. So, but it's well, all I mean, right though. You you put it in that savings in that ISA for ten years. It's safe. Hey, you'll notice that schools, schools don't teach you that. Yeah, this is this <laughs> not the sort of stuff you learn. There's a reason for that. Yeah. <laughs> As far as yeah. I know, anyway, I've not been for a while. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As far as I can remember, it was about 13 years. Well, I'm 29 now, yeah. So it was like 13 years ago I left. Yeah, so, <laughs> so um, another interesting one, actually, is what's your opinion on gold at the current time? If there was another pandemic of coronavirus, do you think it'll reach previous highs or not? Gold is obviously bullish. It's a finite commodity. It's naturally only going to rise in price as it becomes rarer long term. And I'm talking 10, 15 years, not tomorrow. Mm. Um, I think that I think that can be classed as a safe haven as well, can't it? Um, it is. It's the biggest one there is. Really. Yeah, people people like to put money into it. Um, well, it is safe. It's not going anywhere. It's, it's an actual item, and there's Physical, not going yeah. unless someone steals it from me. But... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got bigger issues on your hands as yeah, to yeah. what the price of gold's going to be. Um, I think that obviously the lack of production or the lack of ability to produce it in the future as it becomes rare and rare is going to make the price go higher but from a technical perspective i think yes it will take out take out highs in the near term the next year or so what do you guys think yes yeah from a, from a technical perspective it's definitely got more of a bullish structure to it um it's been quite ranging ranging in recent weeks it's and so, I, I, so I think it comes to yeah, a bit of bit of people bit of bit of indecision basically with people i think people are kind of a bit of a crossroads where they're sitting there going you know the market's recovering you know, the, econo- the global economy, it's all doom and gloom. Every time you turn on the news, it's all about this, this, that, and the other. You know, it's like the end of the world. Then they're sitting there on the other hand, and they're looking at Bloomberg, and they'll get something come up. They go, it's the sixth day in the row that the S&P's gained. You know, and they're looking at a chart of the S&P, and it's been like that for the last few they're weeks. Completely they're completely like, They don't know what the fuck's going on, basically. So there ends up that confusion. I think pe- some people don't really know where to put their money at the moment. And where normally it's a little bit more clear cut, you know, and you end up with a risk on risk off situation like you were talking about earlier on, James, it becomes that situation where people then sitting at gold, like you said, safe haven asset, and they sit there, you know, with times of risk on and risk off coming in and out of it. You have to remember that right now the entire theme is uncertainty. Like, so you you can't really give predictions like that as such. And also remember that gold dumped when the coronavirus first happened, not because it's like not a safe haven, but because people were losing. So, you know, when the stock market everything dumped. People yeah. were literally liquidating their gold positions to cover the cover losses from the, the stocks. Losses. So that's why gold dumps and people were like, why is gold dumping? Because they had to liquidate their positions to cover the yeah. margin calls for stocks. Yeah. I think people just always have to remember is that nothing's kind of impossible if you want to call it that, right? So it's all well and good. You can always look at, sit there and look at you know, factors and go, well, this is typically what would happen in this situation. But it doesn't mean that that's always going to be the case. And this is why you always have to like manage your risk, manage your exposure as a trader and investor. Make sure you're always remembering that there's both sides and things can actually, you know, things can actually move, right? So like you just said, you know, a lot of people automatically would normally go, well, gold should pop because people go safe. But then like you said, the stock market crashed so hard, people were liquidating positions elsewhere to cover their margin. Yeah, those people that the are stubborn, it's the people that stick to, it's the same in trading FX, trading, whatever you're trading. It's people that stick to one bias and in their minds, they cannot admit to being wrong or they can't, they can't so, shift yeah. their view oh, because they've got a dogma themselves. They, oh, gold has to go up. Yeah, I think, I think um, it, it's, it's one thing you said, Ben, that I want to kind of highlight is it's, 
it's thrown this has thrown everything everything into question because it's mm. like how it should act in this situation well we've never been here before and this just proves situations can come up yeah. that have never happened before and things will react like they never have before mm. correct exactly that and I, I think you know it's it's just like Ruben said at the end of the day what you've got to make sure you're always open-minded to everything right you can't just be kind of married to a direction and say, right, this is definitely going up. It's definitely going up. It's definitely going up. I mean, look, we said we're not going to touch on crypto as much, but it's the best example of that. If you look over the last few years, you look at Bitcoin, rallies up to, to 19,000, right? Yeah. Ever since that's crashed, all you've had, the second anything goes up, oh, right, that's it. It's going to the moon. It's going, it's rallying, it's rallying, it's rallying. Yeah. And you know, Fuck, when it, people it's been on a two year down, downtrend. Yeah. <laughs> I think the people well, are so fixated on the, on the direction. It's psychological vindication in the sense that people might not even be in a position with Bitcoin and they might have lost money with it but it's the thing they can turn around and go actually i was right i was just unlucky there and then they go and do it again in six months time yeah it's like people calling for a recession all the time you've had people for about 10 years saying i was going to be a recession soon i'm right right now right (laughs) yeah oh yeah i was right now yeah yeah Yeah. i've been wrong for fucking 10 years the boy who cried (laughs) wolf yeah Yeah, exactly then you just get ripped in the comments because everyone knows they've been talking about this for so long you you can't just say it for five years and then say you're right five years later yeah, so, I think I think we've got to remember our job as a as a trader or investor is predominantly to react, right? We don't know exactly for sure, for certain that X is going to equal this. So yeah. we our job as a trader is to read the market, is to understand where the bias is. Are there buyers or sellers? It's all well and good. Everyone can sit here and say, Oh, I think this is going to happen to the stock market or this is going to happen to gold. But you've got to remember the market doesn't give two shits about what any of you thinks. It's going to do what it wants to do. So mm-hmm. we have to remember that we're going to sit there and we're going to read the market. What is the market telling us? You know, this is why, you know, I'm predominantly a technical trader because I listen to the market. What's price telling me? You know, at the end of the day, if there's more buyers in this, you know, X asset class at the moment, the structure's bullish and the momentum's there, I'm going to go with that. I'm not going to go what with the woman on Bloomberg said just because yes, that's her definitely. opinion. You've got to basically trade what you see, not what you not think. What you think. I think that's, right. like, I remember that the, the thing that made me turn more profitable in trading was letting go of those biases. So Absolutely. not trying to forecast like, oh, what's going to happen next week because I don't really care what happens. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to react. I don't care if it goes up or if exactly. it goes up. I used to say this to people all the time. Like, do, do you have an emotional attachment to the pound? No, but then why the fuck do you care? Exactly. Like yeah. it doesn't matter. Look at what it's doing. <laughs> it's telling you what it wants to do. Up. So trade it. Don't and sit it, there going, "Oh, but I thought it was going to go up," but it's not. <laughs> yeah. Get over it. Move on. Yeah. Your holiday yeah. to yeah. your holiday to Tenerife is not having that much influence on the pound. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, makes me makes me laugh. Right, I think that's uh, that's that's pretty good. There, we've we've hit fifty six minutes, uh, almost an hour. So, I think that answers a lot of the questions. A lot of them about cryptos. Um, if you want to get into cryptos, you'll have to find someone else doing one of these because it's not what we do. Um, I think unless there's anything you guys want to cover, I'm pretty happy. I think we've covered some really cool topics. Yeah, no, yeah, I, we've I think we've lot. covered everything. Um, I don't know if, if Ruben's got anything that he wants to kind of go over, but I think I think we've covered a nice yeah, variety of stuff. Um, obviously. Yeah. We've done this today, but I don't think it's going to be the last time we do it. So, no, it's yeah, not like I think it'd be good. It, you know, so. Oh, Instagrams, Instagrams, yeah, Instagrams. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So mine is just at and then B D Sparum. I'll just spell the whole thing out for you. Uh, so it's uh, Brava Delta, Sierra Papa, Alpha Romeo Hotel Alpha Mike. You can also write in the chat, Ben. People will yeah, be able to see then if you see. Okay, <laughs> Send it I'll to the analysts and attendees. Oh, there, there we go then. Look, Sounding like a piece of <laughs> um, Yeah, so mine's uh, Ruben Blamey FX. I'll also write that in the chat because it's a bit of a longer one and no one knows ever how to spell my name. So 
Well, well, yeah, that's that then. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, look, at the end of the day, guys, you know, we all like to share as much value as possible. Like Ruben said, this probably won't be the last one that we do. I mean, I'm definitely up for it. I mean, would you guys like us to do something like yeah, this? Yeah, let, let us know what you think. Um, if you enjoyed it, if you feel like you got something out of it, then we'd be more than happy to do it. Yeah. I'll yeah. tell you what we do. Look, why don't we, why don't we send, we'll send an email out to everybody tomorrow. If we can get some feedback. Um, from you guys that'd be really good and then obviously we'd have an understanding of what you guys liked what you'd like to include different topics to cover all that type of stuff so when we, we'll fire out an email we can do that tomorrow can't we james we'll fire yes, out an email yeah yeah we'll get an email to everyone that watched um and then yeah if you guys respond to that like i say as soon as you see that come in pop back some suggestions and feedback let us know what you thought of it if you yeah. guys enjoy this type of stuff um i mean i'm definitely up for doing it i know james uh, yeah, obviously markets are yeah. changing every week Great every month so it's never going to be stale so there's always yeah. new stuff to talk about yeah, Correct. Ruben, um, just another note as well. I did ask everyone to type in the chat when you put your name in so no one can see it now. Oh, right. <laughs> do it again. So I'll put my yeah. again. Right. If everyone, everyone, everyone just stops typing. Yeah, nobody, nobody type in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> everyone stop typing so we stop can see the Stop typing. <laughs> <laughs> right, so that's oh, mine. There we go. Don't say thanks. Which <laughs> 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 presume you said thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys, like... give, give us a follow. We'll, we'll share we'll share our stuff and that. And obviously, look, yeah. you know, we, we like to just try and share as much value as we can. Um, you know, we're happy to, to take time. I mean, I know I am anyway, happy to take time out of yes, my day and stuff like that. So, you know, if, if people are enjoying it and taking value from it, it's good to connect with like-minded people. That's why we do stuff like this, you know? Yeah, and remember, Ruben. we're not just talking markets all the time. We're also adding a bit of humor in there too. Yeah. Um, so yeah. When, when you look at our Instagrams and whatever, it's not just going to be pure, like boring stuff, just markets, you know, data. It's, it's a lot yeah. of fun too. We do try and, like, you know, whip it up a little bit um, and make, make what might be a boring subject to some of you into something that's actually quite interesting. Um, you keep sending your Instagram handle to panelists, not attendees, I think. Oh, yeah, we have done that, haven't we? That's why. No, Ben's done it. Ben sent it to attendees. Oh, okay. if, everyone, if everyone can stop typing once more, sorry. I've put mine to the panelists. <laughs> I think these two already know my Instagram. He can bang out, he can bang out 6% a month but can't figure out how to use Zoom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah he, can, he can talk to you all day long about high you know, and quantitative easing, everything like that. <laughs> but he can't type his name. <laughs> so now you should see it. Right. Lovely job. Go. Well, been a pleasure guys i've really enjoyed it i've enjoyed having you all here as well thank yeah. you all for coming and giving up your evenings um yeah we'll see you again next time perfect yeah. cheers, cheers guys, guys.